Chase 45, who is he? Uh, Ancestor Yan, East Mountain said, even Shakyamuni and Matria are his slaves. Tell me, who is he? Wuman's comment. If you can see him clearly, it is like meeting your own father at a crossroads. You don't have to ask anyone whether it's, it, it is him or not. Don't shoot someone else's bow. Don't ride someone else's horse. Don't judge someone, else, someone else's mistakes. Don't inquire into someone else, somebody else's business. And now we'll sit for five minutes. Any ideas? Well, I, I finished up with, uh, it, well, doesn't, first, it doesn't matter. that he is the Dharma, like the truth of things. But then with woman's comment, there's those four lines that are, uh, don't shoot someone else's bow, etc. <clears throat> and that made me think that it's more the original self. That you're a slave to your, even if you're Buddha, you're a slave to your original self. So that's my reading. I, I, um, I have something someone a little else's. different. Um, I'm not hearing you, but it could be me. Um, can you hear me now? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, my, my feeling was um, it didn't matter what Sakyamuni and Maitri are, are enslaved to. What matters is what am I enslaved to and who am I? It, it's just, it was just putting me back into my own, my own space. Um, and then when Wu Men's comment was, don't shoot someone else's bow or ride someone else's horse, it, it, it's sort of like, um, who is the one who's concerned about what Shakyamuni and Maitra <laughs> are enslaved to? Who's that one? You know, um, you know it, it was just putting me back into the, to the basic question uh, for me. Um, you know, and then I also wrote a little bit about, um, there's a me who thinks, feels and senses. And sometimes this me appears to be in service to the sense of itself as the center of all the experiencing, you know? <laughs> um, you know, because I believe the thoughts that go in my head or the stories that go through my mind or, the way I frame what I'm experiencing, my sense perceptions, you know? So who is this one? Who is that one? Who seems to think they're in the center and, and um, is doing all this experiencing and, you know, whatever. So, um, I, you know, that, that was the only thing that was um, being called up in me. Uh, every single one of these koans koan seemed to do that for me. No, they have a big position, but that's not really who they are. So they're, in a sense, you're a slave, like Biden's a slave to the presidency. There's the Biden, the man, the original self of the Biden. 
and then there's the job. So that's what I took it as. Well, I kind of went in a different direction. Um, to me, it was, you know, um, Shakyamuni and Maitreya uh, are not necessarily slaves, but like all of us, um, they are subject to cause and effect. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a return to Baijong's fox. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I see, you know, he as really more of an it. <laughs> yeah. It, oh. I, I felt that way too, Donna, um, in that way. Uh, I, I felt like life as it is. Mm -hmm. Because if you go through that list in Wuman's comment, all of that is responding to ideas you have about the cause and effects of, of the life that you're in at this particular moment. So that was my take. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Stephanie? No, I, I was kind of thinking a little along the lines of what Gail was talking about. For me, it felt like um, that there was no difference between Shakyamuni or Maitreya or myself. That if I had to ask who they were, I didn't, I didn't have any idea what the Dharma was. Because the Dharma was present all the time, everywhere. And Nancy? It's, it's funny, um, the way that I thought, but it does not really make that much sense afterward. Because at first, when I thought about slaves, um, when I see the word slave, what I thought of is the ego, um, egocentric mind that we are <laughs> caught up with. But then, because the word that they use are, as I Shakya Muni and Maitreya are his slaves. So then, when if it's word, then it makes more sense because now Shakyamuni and Maitreya are enlightened, um, enlightened, right? So they don't, they're not being caught up by the egocentric mind anymore. So then, maybe um, I guess it's not that right. <laughs> okay, should we read? What about Cody? Oh, Cody. Yeah, I'm the here. Invisible Cody. Yeah, I'm invisible today. Um, I got kind of, I guess, caught up on the word uh, Shakamuni and uh, the Matria. Yeah. And uh, but I, I guess I came up with, uh, if you if you can see your true self from within, you would know it. And that's that's all I could come up with. I couldn't really elaborate on it. But that's that's where it, it 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 seems that it was going. And the other the other statements are don't be someone else, be yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Who did we just lose? Gail. She's still here. There she is. Okay. 
So Cody and Gail and Donna have read. Gail, did you read something? Not yet. I just talk a lot. Okay. You want to read? <laughs> we'll start with you. Okay. Wogu's comment. So blunt, yet so intimate. Are you brave enough to take up the responsibility of being you? Tell me. Whose face do you wash in the morning? Whose teeth do you brush every day? More intimately, when you urinate, whose pee is it? There is Buddha Dharma. Can you smell it? Surely you know that discrimination and conceit cloud your perception. If you can cut off this and that before and after, then right there, you will suddenly know this pee is yours, this pee of the Buddhists. Sakyamuni said that the Tathagata uses all kinds of similes to explain all kinds of things, but there is no simile that can explain this. Why? Because the path of intellectual knowledge is cut off. The Dharma is inconceivable. As soon as you rely on the slightest knowledge, you miss the scene right where you are standing. Yeah, I think I'm next. This case is very short and succinct and goes right to the point. Case 35, when a beautiful woman's spirit departs, also involves Chan Master Wu Zhu Fayan. In this present case, Wu <coughs> calls him Dong Shan Yan. This is because Dong Shan means East Mountain which is where Fayan lived. Sometimes masters are referred to by their toponym. 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 That means, I guess, the place where they come from. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next ben. is Nancy. Yeah. Benyan produced several great Chan masters, most notably Yuan Wu Kenguin, the author of the Blue Clip Record. Yuan Wu, in turn, was the teacher of Dai Wu Songtao, who introduced the practice of concentration on the Wu Tu, or critical phase. Benyan is also the progenitor of the lynching to which woman belongs. Woman is the fifth generation descendant of Fanyan. For this reason, woman called Fanyan ancestor Yan. In this case, Fayan points to the most crucial question of life. There is someone in this room right now to whom Shakyamuni Buddha and Maria bow down. Shakyamuni is the historical Buddha. Maitreya is the future Buddha. What do they have to do with right now? To put it in modern slang, Shakyamuni and Maitreya ain't got nothing on me. Who is this me? You can, of course, give up, give up on finding out who you are and invest all of your energy on things outside yourself. Fame, power, prestige, influence, and so on. But you will never succeed. You can also, of course, give up on this and then place all of your hopes in that. But in giving up, 
you will be forever enslaved by the fundamental duality of having and not having this and that and will not know who you are. Bayan's own awakening experience, which led him to pursue Chan practice, had something to do with the struggle. He came to Dharma, became a monk, and began practicing quite late in life, perhaps at age 35. This was past middle age in those days, as people, people on average lived only to about 60 years. He studied very hard. He knew the Buddhist monastic codes, the Vinaya, well. He studied Buddhist doctrines, but focused on one particular school, the consciousness-only school. <clears throat> Naturally, in his study of this particular school, Master Fayan came across the story of the founder of the school in China, Master Zhuan Zhang. Master Zhuang Zhang. In Zhuang Zhang's time, there were still many scriptural texts not yet translated into Chinese. So his drive to learn even more, Zhuang Zhang traveled to India and to Central and South Asia and spent nearly 20 years mastering Sanskrit. Upon his return to China, he developed the consciousness only school. There is an interesting story about Zhuang Zhang that demonstrates his exceptional capacity. In pre-modern times, there was a tradition in India of engaging in debate, which is one of the reasons that to win debates, Buddhist traditions develop various philosophies. The entire community of the party losing the debate would convert to the opponent's side. In the tale, Zhuang Zhang was visiting a Buddhist temple in India when a great teacher of a non-Buddhist sect was challenging a text promoted by the temple. It articulated non-duality, a fundamental stance in consciousness-only philosophy. Wisdom arises when subject and object cease to be in opposition. The contending teacher was questioning this view, asking, if there is wisdom in non-duality, this non-opposition where subject and object are absent, then who is having the wisdom? And what is the wisdom for? No one could answer. Then visiting monk Zhuang Zhang answered on behalf of the monastery. It is like drinking water, whether it is cold or hot, only the person who drinks it will know. Supposedly the opponent who had spoken on a very abstract level of philosophy found nothing to criticize in Zhuang Chang's answer, who had responded in a very direct experiential way. Who is it that experiences the wisdom of non-duality? Do you ever drink water? Is the water hot or cold? Do you know this? You know this, right? So who is it? Who knows? Fan Yan had been studying consciousness on his school very long when he read this tale and he puzzled over this knowing, he naturally generated a sense of great doubt or wonderment, wanting to know who this who is. He wondered when drinking water 
only, only the drinker will know whether it is hot or cold. How does the drinker know? What does it mean to know? Who is the one that knows it? This questioning was so profound, it drove him on to perceive Chen, especially since he had become a monk rather late in life and was now trying to make up for those lost early years. Perhaps his was not so different from the reason you're reading this book. Because of the routine of life, you experience fixations, anxiety, and pain. Have you seen a corpse, maybe someone you once knew? The body lying there in the coffin used to be so animated. Now it is just a shell, not the person you knew. Who or what was animating it? Have you ever thought that this corpse could be you? Who is it that animates me? That is the most basic question. Of course, you can invest in things outside yourself, denying, along with the whole world, your deep fundamental wish to know who you truly are. So when Fayan came upon the story of Zhuan Zhang, it profoundly touched something deep within. Who is that? Who is it that knows? How do I know? When you drink water, who is that? Who is it that knows? Who is it that feels that sense of self, that sense of subjectivity, that sense of who you are? How do you know it is reality? You may have different roles in life according to different circumstances. Isn't it true that what you want to do and what you can do often don't match either? Or that what you know and what you do are incongruent? For instance, if I asked you when you sit to remain on the method of practice for five or 10 minutes, could you do it? If you are really the master of yourself, you could. But doesn't it often seem that your mind has a life of its own? Can you tell yourself not to have scattered thoughts, not to think of negative things? Aren't you the master? Who the hell is the master then? Who is it? That's the case. Ancestor Yan of East Mountain said, even Shakyamuni and Maitreya are his slaves. Tell me, who is he? Fayan is speaking to monks who know who Shakyamuni Buddha and Maitreya Bodhisattva are. Their names appear in the daily liturgy. Monastics chant their names and bow down to them every day. Shakyamuni and Maitreya are both outside you. No matter how saintly or holy they are, who is the one who knows them? Who is the one who sanctified them? Who is that? That is the most important thing. Otherwise, you give up on yourself and put your trust in something out there. This is not to say that you should not chant their names or learn their teachings. These days, there are some Zen fools who read too much and think that non-attachment means not to learn from teachers, not to read scriptures, not even to practice meditation. They're so clever, yet they don't know themselves. Like a parrot, they just copy the actions of past masters. The important point is to take up the imperative and see for yourself who you are. If you can see him clearly, it is like meeting your own father at a crossroads. You don't have to ask anyone else whether it is him or not. 
if you see into your true nature, if you awaken your own mind, you will realize that the master right here, right now, in this moment, is you. Then you are free. And when you are free, you will realize that Buddha Dharma is not something foreign, distant. Wu Men likens this to seeing your father on the street, someone you see day in and day out. Some of you may think, well, I don't know my father. To this, I say, it's like seeing your teacher standing in front of you. This is not an ordinary teacher, but one who taught you, helped you, offered his life to you, and most important, helped light your own light of wisdom. How could you not know him or her? A teacher is both a father and a mother. Students are like children. The meeting of minds is something that is undeniable. Someone who has seen his or her self-nature realizes that there is nothing more intimate than this meeting. I keep thinking how um, <coughs> there's this idea, oops, uh, who's, who's chatting? Oh, Stephanie had to go. Um, Oh, Peg talks, uh, Joko Beck talks about core beliefs. And Peg says, when you discover your core beliefs, you'll feel it at the back of your neck. And it seems like this self too, that, that this is what this is about, you know, that you'll feel it so strongly. After awakening the foundation of Chan and Buddha Dharma is clear, there is no need for outside confirmation. But a sharing of this with a teacher is some thing natural. When a girl grows up to be a mother herself, she will naturally know the experiences of her own mother who raised her. There is an intimacy based on gratitude, love, shared responsibility that goes beyond words. Mothers and daughters, hearts meet. And this meeting needs no verification. It's just a meeting. Certainly, you don't need any paper like a certificate of Dharma transmission to justify that meeting. If you went around saying, hey, look, I have seen my father, you would sound like an idiot. When my teacher, Chan Master Shen Wen, asked me to pass down the teaching of Chan, he gave me several things, two instance things and a calligraphy couplet. There was no need to give me anything. How could I not share what he taught me? Not for myself, but out of gratitude to him and to all the ancient masters who have offered their own lives. Incense sticks are long wooden balls used during meditation to rock practitioners on the shoulder when they are drowsy. These balls symbolize Chen Chen. On one stick hero, take a step up the hundred foot pole. On the other, an autumn pole reflects an autumn pool reflects the moon. The calligraphy couplet he gave me consists of a poem. He wrote using the character Gu Gu. Gu means result effect. Gu means ballet. The poem basically says, the effect is already in the course. There's no effect. Humble as a valley, there's no valley. What need is there for Gu? There is no woo-woo. He wanted me to teach the Lin method.
by continuing to take a step of the 100 foot pole and the countdown method of silent illumination by stealing the mind like, a, like an autumn pool that reflects the moon. These two methods are the principles of the Dharma tradition of Chen he established. They are principles in my own practice and in teaching others. In practice and teaching, the principle is no self. Master Xing Yang's instruction on the couplet is get yourself out of the way. Can people who are truly free from self-grasping still function in life? Sure. They will have no problem operating in a conventional way, but they will still be more compassionate than most people who act out of self-interest. Self if we were to describe, describe using words and language, we could say that a person free from self-grasping operates in an other-centered way. Everything's, everything is there except for the self. No self does not mean that there is nothing there. On the contrary, it means every, that everything is there. All is connected. There is no center. It's like a mirror that has no fixed image. It just reflects and help, helps others. Buddhism has many words for this no self. For instance, mirror wisdom or pervasive mirror, pervasive mirror wisdom. These are other ways to express who is he, which is what this case is all about. Don't shoot someone else's bow. Don't ride someone else's horse. Don't judge someone else's mistakes. Don't inquire into some, somebody else's business. Although you may understand this on some level, you may not really understand it as you have no personal experience of it. You can study a lot, you can read about it and attend Dharma talks, but what is most important is to personally know who is he. Otherwise, basically all of the studying amounts only to shooting an arrow, using somebody else's bow, riding somebody else, someone else's horse, judging others' mistakes or meddling in other people's business. This verse is quite clear. The lines point to all possible ways of self-attachment, um, all possible ways self-attachment manifests. Please take this to heart. If you don't resolve the fundamental question of who am I, then you are probably inserting the me, me, me in the midst of all your activities doing things for others when others should be doing them themselves, using other people's things as if they're out yours, using your Dharma ruler to see how others measure up to your ideal of practice and minding someone else's business. Please don't take someone else's knowledge as your own. Have humility. If you mistake others as yourself, then you are enslaved by them. You have to personally experience. Knowing how to practice is the most important matter in life. When everything in the world unveils this reality, you have to see through it. Although it is difficult because you, you're going against the stream of the world, it is worth it. When you see through the veil, you will have done the single most important task of what being a human being is all about. <laughs> to be a human being, to live like a human being.
you have the precious gifts of intelligence and many resources. But if you don't know how to use these gifts by asking the most fundamental question, who is aware? Then you are forever blinded by the events of the world. For example, even though all of your life you have used your hands to grab things, no one has ever told you what a hand is. What is a hand? If you know that, then you can pick up something and put down something else. Putting down and picking up are natural functions of the hand. How could you mistake your hand for what you pick up? You are not defined by whatever is in your hand. Must you first discern directly what the hand is? Fact is, if you grab a cheap cup, you cry poverty. If you grab expensive things, you brag about being wealthy. These constructs and narratives are not you. They're not the hand, are they? With your mind, you have the gift of knowing. You must know who is aware. Don't give up. This doesn't mean that to find out who you are, you should lock yourself up in a room. You must discover and realize who you are in the midst of interaction. The mirror can only know its true function by reflecting. The eye can only see when an object is there. How do you discover who you are? It is by interacting in daily life, by not escaping or running away from life, yet not being bound by the multitude of things in life. In that process, everything that comes up, emotional reactions, thoughts, views, values, is the wonderful opportunity that you work with. You discover who you are in the midst of interaction. Trying to discover if through analyzing or intellectualizing, it will lead you further and further astray. Here's some advice in the last words of a letter Fayan wrote to his student who is leaving to visit other teachers and sojourn on other mountains, which I have translated. Stick the two words living and dying on your forehead. Resolve yourself to fully understand them at all times. If you just follow the crowd moving around every day, at the end of your life, the king of death, Yama, will come to collect karmic debts. At that time, don't say, I didn't warn you so. Genuinely engage in practice and introspection, carefully at all times, asking, where is the place where I can gain or conserve power? What kind of practice do I do that drains away power? In which areas have I failed? In which areas am I successful? Practice involves critical examination. It is not to blindly plunge forward. You have to be wise and skillful in your practice. If you had a good sitting, examine that. What were the causes and conditions? If you hear good Dharma teachings and are able to use them, ask yourself, in what way were you able to use them? If you came across something that prevented you from doing well, what was it? There is one type of person who every time he or she gets on the cushion, becomes drowsy and falls asleep. Soon after the person wakes up, he or she engages in scattered, wandering thoughts. The person alternates between drowsiness and scatteredness. When the person gets off the cushion, he or she talks a lot of garbage. If you practice like this, even when Maitreya comes, you will still be unable to enter the way. That's amazing that 
when you think of when that was written, it seems very contemporary, doesn't it? It does. Um, so when do we think Fion lived? Um, I will look it up, just a second. Where is it? Here we Oh, there's something called the Fion, but that's not Fion. Here we go. 855 to 958. That's a long time. Yeah, over a thousand years. Ago. Ago, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it could have been written yesterday. Of course, it was translated, but still. Yeah, it shows me that um, <laughs> the people have been um, actually uh, attempting to answer the question, who am I for a long, long time? <laughs> and they, all, they know what the pitfalls are, the ones who, <clears throat> you know, who come through it. But, um, yeah. Well, what struck me was was this uh, this the scattered wandering thoughts that I don't know about you guys, but I have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's good to notice. Do you have any Nancy, or are you just focused on your your PhD thesis? Uh, I do when I off work so when i focus on working it's kind of like i'm in a totally different world but then when i'm out it's kind of like a lot of like baggage <laughs> but i have a feeling you have a great ability to focus when you need to <laughs> you, yeah, kind of. okay who's reading i guess i am last paragraph <clears throat> And Cody returns. Please take this advice into your daily life. If you have never practiced the Huatu method, then find a teacher to undergo training. Don't just read these words and start using this method. What you may take from this is this. Life offers you an opportunity to see who you are. This is the most important task. Carefully and earnestly find the place where words and concepts do not reach, then ask, who is this who is blinking the eyes and reading these words?
Well, let's read the koan uh, again. See if it makes any more sense. Someone want to read it? Page 45, who is he? Ancestor Yarn of East Mountain said, even Shakyamuni and Matria are his slaves. Tell me, who is he? If you can see him clearly, it is like meeting your own father at a crossroads. You don't have to ask anyone whether it is him or not. Don't shoot someone else's bow. Don't ride someone else's horse. Don't judge someone else's mistakes. Don't inquire into someone else's business. Yeah, that's um, kind of reminds me about the father, recognizing your father on the road. And um, when you hear anecdotally of people who <clears throat> have awoken to the truth of their being, the uh, common, very common um, thing you hear from them is almost like a, oh, how could I have missed this? You know, it's so obvious, you know, it's not like something, it's like something they all, it was right in front of them that they already knew, but didn't know that they knew it. You know, so that's what it made me think of, you know, when you recognize the father on the road, you don't need anybody to tell you that it's the father, you just know it, you know. And, like um, you know your hand? Is that the, the yeah. thing he was saying about the hand? Yeah. So, I asked some therapists, or I mentioned to some therapists, something about how we try to drop the self. And they said that most of the people who come to see the, them don't have a self. So, and they have to develop it. So this, this being that we try to figure out the he isn't, Maybe it's naturally there, but but it's it's <coughs> the self is in a sense the he, you know it's a, the thing that Dogen said to discover the self is is to where is it where is it I keep it here here we go to study the Buddha way is to study the self to study the self is to forget the self to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. He causes and conditions. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was, know, that was kind of mentioned at some point. Yeah, I, I've heard it said, too, that the, the one that's trying to get rid of the self is the, is the small self. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, it's only the ego that thinks it needs to get rid of an ego. And when, in fact, neither one really exists. <laughs> you know, it's... It, and that's where you get stuck in a loop, you know, thinking that there is a you that needs to get rid of this other you, you know, this other thing. And uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciated one part when he was talking about the center, because I've been asking myself that every now and then too, um, you know, that we feel like we, that there is a me that's at the center of all experience. And to really, you know, to sit in, sit and, and, and really look at that and go, is it true that there is something called me at the center of all this experiencing that, that seems to be happening? 
Yeah, we did a Peg had us do an exercise where we drew ourselves in the center and then we drew our world around us and then we exchanged these things. And it was so weird that that we all had a different conception of the universe. I have mine right up there. I'll show you. Yeah. I mean, but is that even, it? even to ask the question, even to ask the question for me, like I was walking at the beach today. And as I was walking, I was even asking at one point kind of in my head, I was saying like, mm. who is it that's seeing everything? You know, who is it that's seeing the boats and the, and the, and the ocean? And, you know, I was, those things were being seen, but who is it that's doing that? <laughs> you know, or that is, is there someone at the center that's doing that? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling you get if you really start to question, at least I, so I appreciated his pointing that out. Well, I suggested we um, end. <laughs> Does anyone want to say anything more? I just have a question, Kim. Yes. What's the What's the name of the next book that we're going to be using for the? Uh... Oh. Ordinary Wonder. Ordinary Wonder. It's, a, it's available here. It's available as a. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> there it is. Yes. Backwards, but there it's it is. It's available as a Kindle book. <laughs> okay. Cool. I have it as a Kindle. So we can start right up even if people don't have it. Okay. This is one line from it. When <coughs> you are truly experiencing, you are not feeling the suffering or the anger. You are it. And I say, be what you are. That's pretty much what we read tonight, isn't it? Mm -hmm. but, but when we truly experience what we are, Whatever it is at that every moment, there is freedom. Sometimes people say to me, oh, yes, I'm in touch with who I am. I know my body is tight. That's not experiencing. For one thing, when, when we say, I know my body is tight, we're already separating us, our knowing, and our bodies. We are assuming there is an I knowing something else. The world is split. When the world is split, there's no peace. There's no freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Ajashanti says that um, the experience of, um, um, I guess you could say reality, is, is the experience of no center, that there is no center uh, in the way that we think of it. Yeah. He says, like, the center drops out. This, the, that's why... Um, was it Nisargadatta and Ramana always kept asking the question, who is this I? It's, it, it's to get you really into the feeling of what we think of as I. And um, I guess if you get it deep enough, it just drops off, drops away. I don't know. You know it's, do you see the center as a point or do you see it more as, as the whole business? Um, it's it's a point of view. 
think. There's, the no, there's, there's nothing that's not the center, right? When you get to the center. I don't think there is a center, you know? I don't think there's a... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, let's just say that. Well, would you find out for next week? an awful lot of pressure. <laughs> You're like, what a homework assignment. <laughs> I'll, write, I'll let you know okay. who I am, who we are next week. Okay. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> okay, well, are we done? Are we done? Yeah. yeah. So. so have a good center. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs>